Nice to be with you all. Uh, thanks for having me. Um, I feel like I've met you all before, which is really nice. Pretty much, I think, more or less. Um, so thanks for having me. We're going to look at this passage together. Um, I'll just pray, then I'll explain a little bit more. So, um, Lord, thank you for this church family here. Thank you um, for your word. And we pray, Holy Spirit, please take from your word now. Warm our hearts, Lord, because we need that all the time. As we've been hearing about uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, we pray that as we think on your word, we would have grace stirred up in our hearts as well. And uh, yeah, anyone who doesn't know you yet, Lord, that you might uh, just work in them. And you'd just encourage us all together now, we ask in your name. Amen. So I thought the way we might go through this is to have Psalm 51 open as well, if that's okay. It's a really good psalm, and I think it provides a little bit of um, a way of reading this passage. It will help us a little bit expand on some of the ideas. So maybe keep a finger in Psalm 51 as well as we look at Luke 1, 39 and following. I wonder how you announce the birth of a new baby or you've seen a, a baby announced. Um, when we had our first child, not to embarrass Isabel too much, <laughs> uh, when Isabel was born, uh, Mim, my wife, isn't here. She's down in, uh, at St. John's. We had some commitments down there. Um, when we had our first child born, uh, what you did was you just sent text messages to everyone you could think of. And that, that was really what, what you did. And you get some nice text messages back and things. Maybe you've seen some quite clever ways of announcing uh, the birth of, of a baby. Uh, I know someone in Mim's family just sent uh, like a, uh, a pattern for some baby clothes to their mum because they knew that they liked sewing. And she's like, why have you sent me this? Like, because we're having a baby. Uh, so that was quite exciting. I don't know how Joe and Chelsea announced it, that, that you were pregnant, Chelsea. At my birthday meal. At your birthday meal, you're like, you're not just here for a birthday. <laughs> I need to tell you, we're having another baby. Exciting, isn't it? Um, there's lots of different ways now, and some people have like gender reveal parties. Is that a thing? Yeah, I think it is, isn't it? And you go, it's, what is it? What is it? Boy or a girl. Anyway. We've got an announcement, a baby reveal uh, here um, in this passage as Mary comes to see Elizabeth, who is her relative, and she, she wants to talk to her all about uh, this baby. Mary's carrying Jesus, and Elizabeth is carrying John. And the way that it is announced, and here's the little first section of my talk, is the baby leaps. The baby leaps. Can you see that? Verse 41... When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. We might kind of think, that's not very strange, really. Babies are known for bouncing up and down in the tummy, uh, moving about. And uh, I, I don't know, has anyone seen that before, where you literally see the baby move and the whole tummy sort of goes, ooh, <laughs> like that. It's kind of cool to see, isn't it? Uh, or you see a limb go across and you're like, I think I just saw a hand move. It's a little bit scary, isn't it? Uh, or a foot. And you're like, make it do it again. And Mim's like, I can't just make it do it. But anyway, it's quite exciting to see. So we know that babies do that all the time. But this is a little bit different because I think the passage thinks that the reason that John is leaping is because Jesus is in the house. 
So um, have a look down at verse 44. Uh, Elizabeth does a little explanation and says, As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. So didn't just leap because he was hungry or he'd had a little sleep and he'd woken up and thought he'd have a little move about. He's leaping for joy because Jesus is in the house. And because John is in close proximity to Jesus, he is so excited. He is leaping. And we might find that a little bit strange to think about, but I think it is a spiritual thing going on. It's a supernatural thing. John is like, Jesus! And then and the mum's like, ooh. Um, so I, that's what I think is going on. And have a look at Psalm 51. I told you to keep a little finger in. Psalm 51 and verse 6. David says, Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Now I think that just expands our understanding a little bit of the baby in the womb. You taught me wisdom in the secret place. You desired faithfulness. Now if we take that seriously, that is saying that a baby can know God from the womb, right? That God desires faithfulness from the womb. Uh, so here's one of several reasons why we ought to teach our children the Bible from as early as possible and pray for them and pray with them and have high expectations for them to know Jesus. And uh, it's a really good thing. And uh, I think Joe probably did this. I'm sure he's told me this before. He started reading stories even before Daniel was born. Is that right? So he could hear? I'm going to make you sound bad now if you didn't do it. Um, and, you know, lots of... It's, it's a really good thing to do. And then to teach them... Even when they're just like lying there, probably like Eden is, and she's like, what's going on? Just crack open the Bible, read a bit of Bible to them. And then expect great things. Expect them to know Jesus from when they're young. And pray for them. And uh, ask them things about what they got out of their teaching and stuff like that. And um, want big things for them. And I always think it's good for the children in our church, in our families. Let's pray that they pass where we are. So we want them to be more godly than we were at, I don't know, 10 years old, 20 years old, 30 years old. And we know it's a work of God. We cannot make our children believe. But it's a good thing to pray, isn't it? God desires faithfulness, uh, even from the womb. So God elects us before we're born. That's just a kind of clever word for saying he, he chooses us before we're born. And we're able to depend upon him from the womb. And David speaking by the Spirit in Psalm 51, I think makes this clear. What we are to God is not defined by the amount of knowledge we have. So never think, oh, I'm not a very clever person, so I'm not as important to God as that really clever person. Because actually this teaches us, if babies in the womb don't really know anything, do they? Except they, apparently they can hear you know, sound from outside of, of the womb. I don't know how they know that, but I remember hearing that. They, they can hear things and respond uh, to sound. We're not defined by how clever we are. We are important because of who we are, not what we know. And that's super important because the world says basically cleverness, beauty, strength, that's all important. And the Lord's like, well, uh, I look at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. And it's really important. So God is the God of the unborn child as well. And then he's the God, obviously, of the born child. And then, then of the adult. And I just think that changes the way the expectations that we have and how we treat children and think about children, and how we think about ourselves as humans as well. Um, and maybe valuing people who can't do very much. 
But what is unique about Elizabeth's child is that he leaps because the Messiah is being carried around by his mother's relative. So the presence of Jesus, let's get our heads around this. The presence of Jesus is powerful even from the womb. And I always love it in John's gospel when, when they come to arrest Jesus, you know, like he's been betrayed by his, one of his best mates who's been like the sort of treasurer in the gang of disciples and he's betrayed because he gets some money from the Romans and they're all there and Jesus is being betrayed and Jesus speaks and all he says is, I am. And we're told that those coming to arrest him fall to the ground. They fall to the ground. The presence of Jesus is powerful, even from the womb. So how do you announce a baby? Well, God announces it in in this little scene here by uh, John leaping within his mum's womb. So that's the first thing that we've seen. The baby leaps. And then we see that the Spirit comes. The Spirit comes. Elizabeth is filled with the Spirit as the baby leaps. Uh, When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, verse 41, the baby leapt in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Come again to Psalm 51, please. And we're going to have a little look at verse 11. This is the way that David sees the Holy Spirit. The context is, David has messed up really badly. He's sinned really badly. What is he asking God in prayer? Verse 11, do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. So what David is saying is, please, whatever you do, do not take the Holy Spirit. I need the Spirit. Here's what sustains me. That's his fear that the Lord would take the Holy Spirit from him. Because the Spirit is the one who is the presence of God to us. He dwells within believers. Uh, The Spirit is the one who so encourages to us. He restores to us the joy of our salvation and grants us a willing spirit. So when you're like, um, Lord, I need help, pray for the Holy Spirit to help you. He's God's presence within us. Um, Now, the interesting thing about the Holy Spirit is he has lots of names, lots of titles for him. And we're going to see one of these titles now. Sorry, you'll know that I flick around a little bit. I'm sure Joe, I know that Joe flicks around quite a lot as well. Uh, Let's go to Philippians chapter 1 and verse 19. So that's one of Paul's letters. You'll find it a little bit later than Luke. Just keep going. Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and chapter 1, verse 19. Actually, we'll go from the end of verse 18. So Philippians chapter 1, and the end of verse 18. Okay, this is Paul, the Apostle Paul speaking. He's been talking about his affection and love for the Philippians, uh, who he's shared the gospel with. Everyone got that okay? Philippians chapter 1 and the end of verse 18. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Okay? So just absorb that, how the Spirit's referred to. And uh, let's come on to Acts chapter 16 as well. Well, actually, that's a flick back. So we're going to get to Acts chapter 16 and verse 7. So Paul and his friends doing lots of missionary work, pressing on into new places. Uh, Acts is just after the Gospels. Okay. Acts 16 verse 7. When they came to the border of Mysia, 
They tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So, what is the Holy Spirit referred to as there? What's the, what's the title in both those? The Spirit of Jesus. Now, isn't that interesting? So, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to point to Jesus all the time. That is what he does. All the time, he's like, look to Jesus. Put your eyes on him. Have you trusted him yet? Do you know him? The Spirit of Jesus. And so we find that, that title for him. Now, that isn't to say that they're the same person. They're not. The Holy Spirit and Jesus are not the same person. We can't collapse them into one and say, yeah, they're the same person. No, they're separate, as we would say, persons of the Trinity. You've got the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. But yeah, he's always wanting to glorify Jesus, to lift our eyes um, to Jesus. And so the Spirit comes. No wonder he's exciting Elizabeth about the baby leaping within her because Jesus is nearby. That's what he wants. He's always wanting to proclaim Jesus and to show who he is, how good he is, and that we should trust him. And in your life, if you're trusting in Jesus and you ask for the Spirit's help, he will bring sustaining power to you. Already I've had a conversation with someone this morning who said, we pray to Jesus in these different situations and he helps us. We know that, don't we? Well, that is the Holy Spirit who's going to help us within. And interestingly, within the New Testament, yeah, I've already said they're not the same person, but it's almost like they're so closely associated that the Holy Spirit is like another Jesus for us, comforting us. Um, so we're not on our own. The baby leaps, the Spirit comes, and Elizabeth exclaims. That's just a kind of old-fashioned word for saying she kind of preaches out almost some truths about, about uh, Jesus. You see that in verse 42. In a loud voice, she exclaimed. So remember, they're just basically at Elizabeth's house. They're not in church or anything like that, uh, or at the, at the temple. And she starts speaking in a loud voice. This isn't an ordinary kind of utterance. And two things she exclaims. Blessed are you, and blessed am I. So let's think about that. Blessed are you, she's saying, it's amazing, Mary, that you are getting to carry the Messiah. Wow, what a privilege. How amazing. So uh, I don't know if anyone's from a Roman Catholic background or um, got friends who are Roman Catholic. Um, you might know that they often speak about blessed Mary or blessed Mary. And here's one place where we can really agree with our Roman Catholic friends and say, rather than being like, um, trying to look for something to criticize, say, Mary was so blessed, wasn't she? I totally agree with you. Mary was so blessed. Wasn't it amazing that she got to carry the Messiah? Now let's talk about our understanding of him. And uh, Mary actually makes that point that they are onto something when they talk about Mary being blessed. Because um, look at verse 48, halfway through. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. So really, she was the most blessed woman who's ever lived because she humbly accepted uh, God's claim on her life and God inviting her to do this thing. And um, she got to actually carry the Messiah to bring him into the world. The Holy Spirit came on her and, and she got to do that. So uh, we, can, we can agree with our Roman Catholic friends. Yeah, she was totally blessed, wasn't she? Wow. Blessed is she among women. Um, and then Elizabeth says, blessed am I. And that's because, um, why am I so favoured, verse 43, she says, that the mother of my Lord should come to me. 
She's like, wow, you, you've chosen to, to come to me. And she's totally humble, humbled by that. And that she gets to be a part of the salvation story in a way. People are going to be, maybe she didn't know this, but people are going to be reading her story for lots of Christmases um, to come. And when Jesus comes to you, that is the biggest blessing that you can have when he comes into your heart. Uh, you might feel like other people have let you down in your life, like they haven't been there for you when you've needed them. You might feel like the people you would like to visit you haven't visited you. Well, if Jesus visits you, then you have everything that you need and you're, the, you're one of the most blessed people. And so many people out there don't know him, do they? So let's never take it for granted that if we know him, he's visited us. So the baby leaps, the spirit comes, and Elizabeth exclaims. And if we go back to Psalm 51 again, we see that this is the sort of thing that the Holy Spirit uh, does. Psalm 51 and verse 13 David's just prayed, I've messed up. Please don't take your Holy Spirit from me. That's a good prayer to pray. Uh, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And then verse 13, he says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. So David has has the understanding that if the Spirit is within him, he will start to teach others. I wonder if that's a word here for anyone this morning. It doesn't mean that you're going to be a pastor necessarily, although it might mean that. But if the Spirit is within you, will you teach transgressors the ways of God? So the Spirit will show you how to explain to friends the truths of the Bible. Not in a lectury sort of way, but to explain it more clearly to them and to make the great business of our life about trying to turn sinners back to Jesus. Transgressors, so they can come to him. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Um, So Elizabeth... She speaks in that way, not because she's a bit sort of lippy and she likes to speak a lot when people come around to her house, but because the Holy Spirit is um, making her proclaim these things. And he'll make us do the same. If you don't have much boldness, and I'm preaching at the carol service this evening, so I'm praying for boldness, then ask the Spirit, because he loves to do that. And even to make quite timid people bold. The baby leaps, the Spirit comes, Elizabeth exclaims, finally... Mary rejoices in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. She's rejoicing in the fact of what God has done. And do you see in this this whole prayer, she isn't saying, I'm great and he's done so much for me. Her testimony isn't all about herself. That's not a good testimony when we make it all about me, me, me. But actually she's saying, God is mighty. So, verse 48, he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. Uh, Verse 49, the mighty one has done great things. Verse 50, his mercy extends. Verse 51, he has performed mighty deeds. Second half, he has scattered those who are proud in their most thoughts. Verse 52, He has brought down rulers, verse 53. He has filled the hungry with good things, 54. He has helped his servant Israel. God, God, God. God is so great. So when we rejoice and the Spirit makes us rejoice, our testimony is always actually about Jesus. And some of the best testimonies I think I've heard have been those where people just speak about Jesus a lot. You don't have to be amazing and to have lots of things to say about yourself, but just talk about who he is. And talk about what he's done for you at your very worst points. 
That's what people uh, need to hear. She's rejoicing. Um, and now back to Psalm 51, because this is our little cross-reference, isn't it? Psalm 51 and uh, verses 15 to 17. I'm not going to go on for ages, guys. Uh, nearly done. But have a look at Psalm 51, verses 15 to uh, 17. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. So when God opens our mouth, we will declare his praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I will bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. So she's saying, um, it's not about what I do for you, but about what you have done for me. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you will not despise. So she's, she's wanting to shine light, really, on God and say, he's so amazing, and I don't have anything, and he's just come to me. That's what she's rejoicing in. So let me uh, round this up for us with a little bit of, of application for us as we've been thinking about this, this announcement of, of uh, the baby. Mary humbly accepts God's will for her life. She believed that God would fulfill her promises, uh, his promises to her. Um, and I don't know what you've got on your plate at the moment, but... You may not know why God gives you certain things. You may not know why he's called you to do something. Um, but many of the things God asks us to do are, com are completely beyond us. So have a think about Mary, because I think, we, as I've been saying, we don't really give her enough credit. She came as probably a very young, um, not necessarily educated uh, young young woman, not necessarily um, someone that people had ever chosen for anything before. And yet God chooses her to carry his son and um, she just trusts him. She didn't have any worldly reason uh, to trust. and it, She didn't receive the promise because she was thinking, you know, this is really convenient at me, for me at the moment. Thank you, I've just got this gap in my life. And so, I, I, yes, I will take that word on board and I'll trust it and I'll do it. Uh, yes, thank you, I've been, so far in life, I have been very equipped. And now you've come and that's just like the perfect marrying of my desires and yours. And so, yeah, I'll carry Jesus. She just does it. And um, what I want to encourage you with is, I think often we want to live within what I'm going to call the circle of safety. Do you know what the circle of safety is? The circle of safety is what is basically what anyone would do anyway, whether they're a believer or not. So, uh, will I move house for the Lord? Well, yeah, if uh, the mortgage all adds up and the career and uh, where I kind of at in life, that's how unbelievers make decisions anyway. The circle, that's decisions within the circle of safety. What the Lord wants us to do is to be prepared to step out of the circle of safety and to say, I'll believe you even when it's not convenient or what everyone else does or, or what is even good for me in a way. Many of the things that God asks us to do are, com are completely beyond us. I know in my, my own life that some of the decisions I've had to made, make would never have looked good in an Excel spreadsheet. You know the thing when people are like, 
Well, if it all adds up, then it must be of God and it's okay. But maybe it was economically a bad decision to make, but it was Jesus asking us to do something. Maybe it wasn't a good in time in life, but Jesus is like, you're going to have to do this for me. Uh, maybe it, it, it just didn't look sensible. But when, if God is laying something on your heart and asking you to do it, do it anyway. Do it anyway. You'll never regret it. Because actually the safest place to be is, um, is doing what he wants you to do. And it's from humble places and empty places that, take a look at um, verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things. So Mary wasn't saying, actually, the cupboard is full, the bank account is full, I've got everything I need, now I can help you out a bit, God. Her expectation was, when we're empty, he fills us up. So never make decisions on the basis of, do I have enough? Now, we know that we have certain obligations in life, don't we? And we, it's, it's wrong just to throw things off and do a new thing sometimes. So yeah, I get that. But what I'm saying is, let's just be prepared to step out, really, uh, like Mary was. And the reason for that is because we don't have what is required to fulfill the call that God puts on our life. And I want to tell you here in Klitamua, um, as you're... As you're you're in, the, excitingly, the first year, no, it's just gone into the second year of the church, really, just to trust that God will provide for you, and he has already, hasn't he? And, and, and keep doing that, because he doesn't call us because we have what is required. He calls us because he has what is required, and he wants to use us. And uh, that's where trust comes in. All right, let's, let's, let's pray. Um, Lord, thank you that you place your call on our life, first of all, to follow you and then to serve you and to do things for you. I pray, Lord, for such boldness for this church family here. Thank you for them. Thank you for the many ways they've already um, taken risks for you and lived boldly for you and listened to your voice. And that's been a great encouragement to us as churches, I know. I just pray, Lord, more of the same. Please su supply all of their needs, everything they need going into the new year, Lord. We ask for you to pour down blessings from heaven upon them. Thank you for Mary's obedience to you. Thank you, Lord, that you never forsake or uh, throw off your children when they come to you, but you constantly want to show yourself faithful. And Lord, we're asking for you to do that again uh, and again. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.